It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to another episode of Ones to Watch with myself, Sean Bastow. Now I'm joined on this episode by professional boxer, Jack Hughes. We're going to be talking about your journey today, Jack, through the course of boxing. We're going to be talking about where it all began, what your career's been like, a little bit of a hiatus from boxing and your eventual return to the ring. So first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, I know about you. We, we've had a chat before this. We, we know a little bit about each other. You, you've seen some of the stuff I've done, and this is going to be a great opportunity mm. for me to get to know you as a person a little bit better. And, of course, the people that are listening, they're going to get to know who, who Jack really is. So I'd like to start this conversation off by finding out where this all began for you, where, where the journey of boxing began for Jack Hughes. Yeah, so it's quite a funny story, like, it started around when I was about 15 years old when Ricky Hatton was fighting Floyd Mayweather. Funny enough, like, I've got a picture of him up there. Um, so I never used to, I never watched boxing before. I never I never liked it. I thought it was kind of like an idiot's game. Like, why would anyone just get in there, let another man hit them, so on and so forth. And, yeah, so them two were fighting. And back in the day, you know, you had the old MSN chat. And my, a couple of my friends made a group and that popped up on MSN and it was like the Ricky Hatton Mayweather was the title of the thing. And it was like, oh, Jack, um, obviously we know what your mum's like. We know that she'll buy the fight. None of our mums will buy it. Can you uh, talk her into buying it? And I was like, oh, lads, I was like, this is, it's not my thing, yada, yada, yada. So long story short, they ended up convincing me to buy it. They all come round. We stayed up till like four in the morning and watched this fight, and it was the first fight I ever watched, and the second it come on, I was just instantly hooked with it, and from that moment on, I literally fell in love with boxing, and then on my on my 16th birthday, I just walked into Rice Lips, Rice Lip Boxing Club ABC, 
and yeah, and that's that's where the journey started from there on my sixteenth birthday. That's a different story than what I'm used to, to be honest. I hear stories from, <laughs> from different people that are just all about a lot of people getting into fights when they're younger, uh, bullying mm. at school, maybe it's for weight. But in your instance, it was just a case of you had this perception of boxing as it was, and then you watched that one yeah. particular fight and everything changed and you walk Pretty into much, the gym. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's a crazy, <laughs> it is a crazy story, actually. It's 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 a, fre- it's a fresh story for me anyway. It's great to, to yeah. hear a, a different perspective on, on how somebody got into the sport. So can mm. you remember what it was like the first day you walked in the gym? Yeah, I, I remember it exactly. I walked in. I'm a, I'm a really shy kid. I know it to a lot of people that may shock them, especially the way I am on like Instagram and so on. But if you put me in a room full of different people, I literally won't say a word. So I've just walked in there, this shy kid, and I'm I'm standing like with my arms folded, looking around. And um, one of the lads called Ricky Carr come up to me and he told me that the skipping ropes were in the locker. I grabbed the skipping rope. We all start skipping together in rice lip. It's kind of different to a lot of clubs. They do everything as a pair. So you walk in, you'll start your skip, then you'll go on the bag, then you get called for sparring and you'll do the whole session as a group. And I remember skipping and I was just looking around at everyone and like, you know, they've got the boxer skip, the trademark boxing skip. And I was just miles away from it. And then we went on to the bag and Terry called Terry and Hot, um, Derek Hobbs are the trainers there. Terry called me over. I done pad work with me and he makes you to get your balance. He makes you stand up against the wall, like with your back flat to it, punch in. And it was just it was just a weird, like a weird, different experience, like something I was just not used to. And then um they all started sparring and normally on the first day they don't let the people spar but I, I was like walked up to Terry and I was persistent I was like I've brought my gun shield and everything I really want to I really want to try and get in there and they put me in with a decent lad and like held my own I've, al- I've always been even though I've never been a fighter I've always been quite a just a tough like a tough kid whatever I've played like the people I've always idolized have always been kind of like the hard tough people of the game and I've always wanted to kind of give that perception in my boxing career as well so like you know I got stuck in he was a bit heavier than me a bit older and I just got stuck in like kind of tried to stamp my authority and from that moment on yeah it was just yeah I, I remember it so clearly I remember my first day of boxing so so clearly so at what point did you decide you were gonna you were gonna go into the amateur side of the sport and become competitive with with boxing. What what point was it when you was in the gym where you just felt like you know I can actually I can do this? Coming from the original story that you told us from where you were to go into actually getting in the ring, sparring, and then competing in like skills bouts, and then going into actual competitive bouts in like you know they have their obviously tournaments. You got the regionals, you got the nationals. Just just talk me mm. through it all. Talk me through how it all went for you. So well. When I made the decision that I was going to fight was when I watched the Ricky Hatton fight. Was like I watched that and I was like, "Yeah, I'm doing this." And then I remember the, as I said, I remember the day so clearly. The first training session, as I was walking out the door, I said to Terry, "I was like, so when when can I fight?" And obviously they they laughed and was like, "You know, just give it time, just give it time." And I was there for the first year of 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 um, boxing. I never missed one session of training and and they knew, they could see how disciplined I was and I think within within four or six months I was fighting and before I had even had my um my f- fight scheduled I had already gotten to Susie Wong and I had ordered boxing shorts from Susie Wong and and everything and people were like you've ordered all this you've you've done all this and you might not you might get in there and you might not like it 
but I just knew like my mindset I just know like, I've got a good mindset and I knew I knew I'd love it I was loving training I was loving sparring so there was no reason why I wouldn't get in there and just not enjoy the competitive side of fighting so yeah to answer your question it was just literally the second I watched that fight I, I knew that that was the path I was going to go down with whether it be amateur or professional so what was it like being in the amateur side of the sport then? You know, obviously travelling up and down, going to different tournaments, mm. uh, sometimes fighting more than once a day, depending on, on what tournament you're involved in. <laughs> just, just just, talk us through like what that experience was like for you, having the love for it that you did. I I, I love being an amateur. I, I know like, you hear both bad things from both sides. Like People say oh, there's too many robberies and stuff in amateur, and then they go pro, and then they say, oh, but this is more of a business than it is a sport. So, but I, I loved every moment of being an amateur. Like, being around Rice at Boxing Club was, it was just a great place to be around. Like, Terry and Derek, just lovely people. I enjoyed, I enjoyed training. I loved it, and I loved fighting. I had my first fight. I was 16, and I had, I had three fights for Rice Lip, and I won. I won all three of them. And then in my second year as an amateur, I went to I went to Hooks Boxing Gym and trained under Steve Newland. And it was kind of a it was it was a different atmosphere in, in Hooks where where Rice Lip it was they were very serious, but they they loved having a joke and having fun at the same time. Where with Steve, even though I think Steve is probably a better trainer than Terry and Derek, but I didn't ha I didn't enjoy my career as much as I did with Steve because he's very I think he's too serious like he was he was too serious and when I got when I we hit 17 I kind of I think it might have been the gym but it was also I suffered really bad from anxiety and depression when I hit 17 and then I stopped boxing on my 18th birthday so exactly two years on and then I had I had a long time out. I had I didn't get back into boxing again until I was about 23 years old. And so the story is I, I suffered really badly from from 17 to 23. I suffered really bad from anxiety and depression. And I met a, I met a girl who I fell in love with, and um, she like she made me she made me want to be better basically. So then I got back into boxing again at 23. Uh, my anxiety started to be better. My my mental health was getting better but I still suffered with it from at least probably around 26 to 27 years old but I got back into it I went back to right slip and um I had I had, I had my first fight back at 23 and I and I lost on a split and a home show which I thought I won and then I remember I got into the it was I think it's called the northwest london novice under seven bout novice championships or something like that it's not very it's nothing special but to me, I thought like, oh, like I'm back, I'm back, and I'll get into it. I'm in a championship fight now, like. And I remember it, thinking in the um, in the change room at the time. Obviously, I was still suffering from my anxiety and stuff. I was like, if I lose this, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pack boxing in. Like this will be the end. But at least I come back, I give it a go, and I enjoyed myself. And I remember I just put everything on the line and just like beat this kid up pretty bad, and like, I ended up winning the ended up winning it and that was quite a good moment for me especially for like everything I went through and um and then I was having quite a lot of fights in my in my in my second like run as a as an amateur and um I met an old hooks friend called Luke Robinson who's who's also a pro now 
and um, he he come across one of my videos that I was back boxing again and he was uh messaged me and he was like oh hi mate how you doing like don't know if you've seen or i've turned pro now and so on and so forth and i was like oh i'd love to come and i went to go watch luke and, and his on his um first pro fight in york hall and i just remember the atmosphere and everything and i was like this is everything i wanted to do with my life like literally and um i remember after that fight i was like i'm gonna, I'm gonna turn pro and I everyone said to me like I oh, don't do it it's, it's, you're not ready like so on and so forth but once I had an idea in my head there was no there's no change in it yeah. and I had my last fight at the all-stars boxing club with um an, an old gym mate of mine Aaron Sinclair and then after that that that, that was it that uh, the season was over I went down to state mind and yeah and then and this that's basically where the the pro journey started from there so the one, the one, well, I said the one question, a couple of questions I've got really re- relating to the amateur career is how mm. you mentioned the anxiety and depression, not to, not to go too much into my story, but I suffered with it quite badly for a long time myself. And I know, and I can relate to how hard it is to sometimes even motivate yourself to get out of the house just, just for the day. And just to even go to the shop, sometimes it can be so difficult because you're scared of having a panic mm. attack or, or anything of that nature that that might come about. How how did you how did you manage? I suppose what I'm going to ask is how did you manage being able to control the the emotions that you go through, the different state of emotions that you go through, whilst trying to try to become you know something that you wanted to become, which is which is a professional boxer. How did you how did you cope with being able to suffer with all them emotions, but then also still be able to get yourself into the gym, train, prepare yourself for, for these fights, and then even get in the ring and, and, and taking blows is, is, is obviously mentally challenging. You've got to be you've got to be in the right frame of mind to do all that. How did you how did you do it? What did you do to get yourself through these things? Yeah, like as you said it it was hard. Like when when I was really young, so when I was like seventeen to early twenties, um I, as you said, I, I didn't leave the house. I, I did nothing else but play on my computer game all day long. And when I did go outside, I would, I would, I would literally panic like all, all the time. Um, so as, as I said, it started from when I met the girl I fell in love with, and I wanted to, I wanted to be better for that person. So I went to, I went to, I was going to like therapy and stuff. But from my experience with therapy, and from what other people, I look quite a lot of people actually have told me. That they don't they don't really believe they don't really believe in therapy for the things that like I don't know it, it, for me they just didn't really do anything they mm. they would just kind of sit and listen but they would they wouldn't really tell me like things that I should be doing to kind of I don't know that that was just my experience anyway yeah. so from how from from how I got over it myself was my cousins once told me that. Um, there was this guy that suffered from anxiety and he had a, like a podcast and the way he, the way he used to do it was put himself in positions that made him uncomfortable. And so that was basically what I did from that moment on. So like anything that made me uncomfortable, whether it be going outside or sparring or so on, I just put myself in that position as many times as possible until I literally become comfortable in them circumstances so that was what it was i would just i would go out all the time i would i I never used to like eating in front of people so i'd go out to restaurants and i would just make myself eat i would would literally force myself to do it no matter how like and obviously sometimes i would panic and and sometimes i would like 
you know, have an anxiety attack in that yeah. situation. But the more and more I put myself through it, the more I just become relaxed in the situation and become more comfortable with it to the point to the point now where literally uh, I, have, I haven't had a panic attack in God knows how long. And my mindset now is from from when you saw me from when I was 17 to like now it is it's in, incredibly strong, like incredibly strong. I'm a completely different person mentally. So, yeah, that, that, that was just basically how I got over it. I suppose it's about building up resilience to certain scenarios, isn't it? By putting mm. yourself into them scenarios to, to build that, that resilience towards it. Because the first few times you try to do things like that, it's, it's incredibly difficult. You find yourself mm. wanting to r- run away from the situation. And the, the therapy side of things, it doesn't work for everybody. You know, therapy, yeah. therapy works for some people and not for others. So sometimes it's, the thing is, if we was all the same, life would be boring. And, and exactly, yeah. you know, the, the great thing about life is that we're able to adapt and change and, and do things in a different way. And that's exactly what you've done. And that's exactly mm. how you've, you've overcome that, that, that horrible, horrible illness, which I can only, if anybody's ever suffered with it, honestly, they, they know exactly what we're talking about. It's, mm. it's, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible to try and get yourself through but it's great that you've come through the other side of things so you get yourself you get yourself into the state of mind where you're ready to turn professional you said earlier in the conversation it was always on your mind you put your mind to something you're going to do it turning professional was another thing in your career that you did just talk me through the decision leading into turning professional and then of course talk about what happened in your first professional fight as well yeah so the the process basically so obviously at the end of my um, amateur career I, I knew that that was the path I was going to go down I didn't really want to do another year I just wanted to go straight to it I was I, I was 23 24 at the time so I wasn't really getting any I wasn't getting any younger as they say so I I was looking at gyms online like close to the area that do professional fighting and one of the ones that popped up was State of Mind so I obviously called them Barry picked up I went down to the gym. I went down to the gym to see him and Barry always um Barry just makes me laugh like he anyone that's new that comes into the gym obviously at the time I didn't notice but he he basically would tell he has like a script that he goes through and he like runs the same kind of thing and I've heard it about a million times now to the point where I pretty much know it off by heart but um he was giving me all this and he always says to everyone he's like I'm not a salesman but he couldn't be further from the truth because he sells the gym so yeah. perfectly and um i just remember i remember like listening to everything he said and like how he was like an actual marine and how he left and started the gym for on his own and base and so on and so forth and um I, and he seemed like a decent guy and i just remember the bit that i was just like you know what i think this is the gym i'm gonna go to was when he said to me he, we was outside costa and he he said do you want a coffee and I was like, oh, I'm all right, thank you, mate. I don't drink coffee. And he just walked up and he just punched me in the stomach. And he was like, <laughs> have a coffee. And I was like, oh, I'll have a tea. I'll have a tea. I don't drink coffee. And he got me a tea instead. And I just remember thinking, like, it was just, it was just funny to me. Obviously, he didn't punch me hard, but like, it was just, it was just funny. And I was like, yeah, I think this is the gym. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna train at. So, so yeah, I was, I was, I was in that gym. And at the, at this time, I was quite. Even though I'd been around the sport, I was still quite like novice, novice to it. Like I didn't really know much that went on, like boxing wise. And I remember I, I used to fight at fifty-seven kilo as an amateur, 
And uh, when I told Barry my weight, he was like, oh, I reckon we can get you down to 52. And I didn't even know that fighters cut weight and, and so on at, mm. at this time. So this was new to me. So then I started, I started dieting and stuff and stripping weight. And my first fight was meant to actually be at 50 kilo at flyweight, but they couldn't find me an opponent. So there, a couple of weeks before the fight, obviously they called me and said, oh, we've got someone called Sergei Tasimov at 52 kilo. So, yeah, so then obviously I, I got ready for it. I stripped. I looked, it was probably, my debut was probably the best I looked physically just from everything that I, uh, everything that I did. But I wasn't really that fit on my debut but phys- right. physical wise i looked incredible um so yeah i remember i remember walk, going into york hall the experience of york hall when you're fighting i i love it like i, I there's like a little ritual that you go through like i get up in the morning i have my breakfast i pace around the house for about an hour just waiting to leave then i head down to i head down to state of mind i check my weight and then barry will always be there doing his saturday morning um circuit and he just, he, he just, it's a weird experience being in the gym with Barry because, um, like, where most trainers will, like, big you up on the day, Barry will just, like, run you down with little weird jokes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so he'll give his little shitty jokes in the morning. And then you'll head down to your call and, like, your the place will just be empty. They'll be setting up the chairs, setting up the rings, and you'll speak to you'll speak to Steve, Kevin, you'll sort out your money, you'll get weighed in, then all the fighters will start coming in, you'll start speaking, you'll go and eat, then you'll go watch, you'll come back, you'll watch some of the fights, and you'll get called backstage, and then you'll start warming up on the pads, and then Dave, the, the whip that does um, everything on the day, will call you up, you'll get ready. But I just, I love that atmosphere, and I miss it so much at the moment. Yes, yeah, so and obviously on my debut... I lost. I lost my debut, but um, for me that was the biggest like kick up the backside that I needed. Because if I would have won that fight, my career would have planned out so differently. I, I could have seen myself winning that fight and then probably losing the second one, and I would have probably just packed it in. But I lost that fight, and that kind of made me like realize that boxing is is, is a hard, hard, hard game because. It's, there were some things that I was just taken for, like, granted for, for in my first fight. Like, I didn't really spar that much in my right. first fight. And there was all the, like, people talk where, do you know, like, the, the journeymen are meant to lose and stuff. That, that was the word going around the gym. Like, oh, they don't come to win. They don't do this. Like, yada, yada, yada. But I found out that they do come to win sometimes. So I was just like, yeah, like, this is no joke. Like, I need to start taking it serious. And from that moment on, I started, like, calling up people for sparring i would go as i said i would travel all around spar spar people at all different levels where it be southern area british like world champions i got got so much sparring in and yeah that is so that, that that fight really um it kind of even though it was a loss it probably elevated my career because it made me step on my game it made me think of everything differently so i'm, I'm even though it was quite a low moment losing in front of like everyone it it was probably the highlight of my career as to where it you know where it took off in the end it's quite a difficult thing to overcome i think personally speaking when you go in there and you're all hyped up to go for your professional debut and then Mm. you come out of there and you lose the fight and you've got all these people that are expecting you to go in there and, and put on a performance and and you you just didn't get the performance you wanted on that night. So, like you said, that was the kick up the arse you needed. 
you needed that kick up the ass to go on from there, and you did. And 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 the and, and the good thing for you is that on the bounce, then you went on to to win what a further five fights was it from there yeah, on, and then. Yeah, yeah. That's when you got your 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 biggest fight of your career in hmm. 2018, which was against Ricky Little for the vacant Southern Area Super Flyweight title. So that was the, the probably the biggest moment of your career so far. Hmm. So talk talk me through what it was like in in that time. 2018, you, you you're on a five on the bounce. You you've got the confidence. You've probably matured. You've got the skill set now because you've had this experience with all these different fighters. Just talk me through when that call came through to you, to, to what it was like, the experience of, of, of being said, look, Jack, we've got this fight for you. It's for the Southern Area title. It's against Ricky Little, a guy who's obviously got just probably as much experience as you have. What was what were the feelings like at that time? Yeah, do you know what? 2018 is probably the best year of my life, considering, like, boxing, everything. Um, that was the year... I think I avenged my loss on my debut and then I had I had another fight and then I fought for a, a challenge belt and then obviously the fight with Ricky Little. So that that year was just amazing all around. And then I remember, so the story behind the whole how the Ricky Little fight come about was I was actually meant to fight Sam Cantwell and me and Steve had had that planned for a while and then me and Sam fought on the same show and Sam stopped his feather in the fourth round and I won on points in the in the sixth round. And his dad, I remember his dad stayed behind to watch me fight. So after that, it, it seemed like the stage was set for that fight to happen. And um, I remember the next day, Steve called me and he said, "Jack, um, I got some bad news. Like Sam Cantwell and his dad, they don't want to fight you." And I was just like, "Like why? Well, like why? Why?" Like it seemed like the stage was was just set for that to happen. So I remember he was just like, "We'll find someone else." And I I literally went online and I looked at that on all the boxers that were like around my way, um, that were in like the southern area, and obviously Ricky Little was probably there was only like three, mm. well four including me and Sam Cantwell. There was like Ricky Little and Cadacey. So then I actually ended up putting Ricky Little's name forward. I said I found this guy. Do you think we could get this fight made? And then obviously Steve ended up setting up and, and that's how the Ricky Little fight come about. And then, um, yeah, and I, I, I trained hard for that fight, real hard. Um, but the build-up, it just, even though I trained so hard for it, it just didn't really go as according to plan. Like I only ended up sparring um, three times in the build-up to that fight. Because I needed to get my medical done for the first part of it. So I had to have some sparring off. And then I ended up getting my medical done. And then I went back to sparring. And then the, I think on my third spar, I ended up slitting my eyebrow in sparring. And then I and then I couldn't I couldn't spar for the rest of the camp after that. It was and then I, I was just like, oh my god. So I did I didn't get the sparring in that I needed to. And um and at that time as well, as we kind of spoke about off camera there was a kind of a lot of problems going on in my yeah. gym. Um, and I was, tra I was training myself for the first, for the first basically two and two and a half years of my career. I was, I was training myself, which is, um, I don't think, I don't think any pro fighter should do that, but there, there were reasons behind why I was doing it and so on. But, um, so I got myself in the best physical condition I could with both of them circumstances. And, and by the way, these ain't excuses as to why I lost that. Like, I took that fight 
with them circumstances thinking full well that I would still win the fight. Yeah. But yeah, so obviously, um, obviously I took it and then me and Ricky just, me and Ricky Little had like an absolute small hall classic, which people to this day still bring up to me and speak about all the time, even like friends, family, and even people around in boxing, like whoever was there to witness that, like they, they were, they got like their money's worth for that fight. It was just 10 rounds of two little eight stone fighters just battering the hell out of each other. And, um, yeah, I remember in that fight, like I started slow, like the first two rounds, I started quite slow. And then I started to pick it up in the third. And I remember coming and coming to the end of the sixth round, I was in my head, I was like, I'm, I'm winning this fight. But after the sixth round, that was pretty much, I had literally put everything into it and I was gone after the sixth. And I remember sitting down on my stool and Brian, my coach at the time, that like, asked me how I was. And I, I looked at him and I was like, I'm, t- I'm tired, Brian. Mm-hmm. And then he was just like, we just got to, you just got to keep going, man. You just got to keep going. And even though I still, I still fought as hard as I could, as I said, it was, it was just a 10 round, really high paced fight, but he just really took over from the sixth round onwards. And then obviously we know what happened in the end. He got the result. He won yeah. it by, he won it by two points. But yeah, that was the whole like build up to the fight and what I went through with for it and everything. So it was a difficult period of time, and like you've rightly pointed out, there's no excuses here as to mm. as to why you lost that fight. You've been quite open and honest about what happened in the fight, the lead up to the fight. There's obviously circumstances surrounding it wasn't the best, but you you, you went into there believing you could do it, and, and that belief alone was for you personally enough to go in there and and do the job. But on fight night, it didn't work out that way, and it was a great fight. Mm. I've seen the I seen the fight. It was a great fight, and if anybody's not seen it, they should go and watch watch it because if they want to see yeah. a little small hall tear up it's a it's certainly <laughs> a great one to go and watch but then from 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 there on you've had the one more professional fight which was 2019 so you've had that fight and then i know that you took a hiatus from from that point onwards and i suppose it's this point where i want to get into with you where i want to find out uh, as, as much as you're willing to share as to to, to what would the reason was for the hiatus mm, so as I, as I touched on a minute ago, like I, I can't go too in detail with it because I'm actually back at state of mind now. But as I said, I was, I was training myself for the first two and a half years. And, um, and obviously at this, at them two and a half years, I, I had a relationship with, with my trainer and certain other, a certain, a certain other group in the gym, which I thought they were like my really close, good friends. And uh, we actually ended up falling out over one of my toes that I got, which, like, to me, I just, I don't understand. If, if they was really my friends, would it really matter whatever I got put on my body? And it wasn't even, it's not even like it was a bad tattoo. It was just, um, do you know the the interview club called Southport Jab? Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a Southport Jab logo because okay. Chris was like, yeah, he was like one of my good friends at the time. And he did a lot for me. So I got that put on my um, on my stomach. And, um, yeah, so we ended up falling out over that. And um, so for the two and a half years, like, training yourself, as a professional fighter, obviously not a lot of people know. You've got to, like, you got to promote yourself. You've got to sell yeah. your own tickets. You've got to, obviously, you've got to get in shape. You've got to shred weight. You've got to diet. You've got to train. You've got to get up in the morning and run and so on and so forth. So when I was training myself, that took that took a lot out of me that for, for two and a half years. And when, when I 
left that gym. That that gym was like my home. It's still it's still like my home now. Like I, I'm there like probably ninety nine percent of my free time. I'm in that gym. So to to leave that gym, I was I was I was heartbroken at the time when I when I left that gym. And obviously I'd fallen out with people who I thought were my close friends and and so on. I felt like kind of betrayed at at, at, at that time. And um, so I went I went to Rob. Uh, who was my is my new coach down at New Kings, Robert Lloyd Taylor, and uh, when I when when I was training, I just I, it was never the, it was never the same, and it, this that's nothing down to Rob or New King. That was just completely down to me and how I felt with boxing and how I yeah. got betrayed and all, all that at the time. And um, I'm when I when I train, I train very intense. I put hundred percent in it, and like when I when I spar, everything like I, I'm literally willing to die in a training session in the ring, anything. And I just remember training and I was probably given like 60%. And for me, that was just, it was just not good enough. And then, so I had my fight with, um, I can't remember the, the fella's name, but I had, I had my fight after the Ricky Little fight and I won it. And, and even though I was given 60% and I thought I had like 58 kilo, which is like four weights heavier than I normally fight at, which shows how un, unmotivated I was yeah. in, in my eyes. And, um, and considering everything, all of that, everyone said to me that that was probably my best performance as a, as a boxer so far. But that that was solely down to because I think Robert Lloyd Taylor is an incredible coach, like absolutely incredible. And I think um, even though like the facility where he trains in might not be the best, him as a trainer has got so much knowledge, and he can he can teach people so so much stuff. And he's a lovely lovely man as well. I've got a lot of time for Rob. Um, so yeah, and then, and then after that, I went on holiday. He took me away on holiday with him and a couple of his friends from the lad, uh, a couple of the lads from the gym. And I come back, and we knew that the Ricky Little fight was set again. And um, in the that fight got scheduled three times, and it got cancelled on me twice. And I remember the first time when it got cancelled, I was quite happy about it because I didn't really have that much time to train. And um, so it got cancelled, and it got set for October fifth. And um, I put everything into that training camp, like considering how I felt and, and, and everything, I, I put everything into it. I was like, this is going to be my last hurrah yeah. as a professional fighter. So I, I literally put my life into it. And then a week before the fight, I was already at fight weight. Everything had gone like perfect. And they just called, called Steve up and said, that's it. Fight's off. And I just remember feeling it when I heard that news. I was just so deflated. I was mm. like, "What is the point? Like, what is the point now? Um, like the, the way I felt before, it all just come back." And I was just like, "Yeah." I was like, "You know what? I think it's just time to call it a day." And then, and then, yeah, obviously, I, I retired not long after that. Um, I, had, I think I had around six to eight months off after that, and then it lockdown happened. So. Really, all things considered, it was probably a good time to retire anyway, induce a lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, I hadn't thought about boxing for a long time. It didn't ever really cross my mind until Steve called me up and he wanted me to be on his interview on um, the the uh, his Instagram live that he was doing. Yeah. And when that happened, it was kind of like after that interview, it kind of like brought back, even even though you're at a small hall level, there's still some kind of like glitz and glamour and like the limelight yeah. you get as being a pro. And I just remember that all that excitement come back, like because I I love doing things like this, like interviews. I look forward to them. Like, I love I love I love the camera. Like I'm kind of like a showman. People always tell me I'm a showman. Like 
So I, lo- I love doing that. Like, I love finding out your call in front of people. I, lo- I love doing these interviews. I love people watching them. I love people like commenting and telling them, telling me what they thought of it and, and so on and so forth. So that kind of brought all like the glitz and glamour like, back of it for me. And I was just like, yeah, like I think I need to give this another go. And then um, when lockdown had finished, the first one, I went down to Rob and he told me that unfortunately he was moving the gym and I couldn't commit to the times with him anymore. So I was kind of thinking like, what am I going to do from here on out? And then I remember I got on the train not long after I went to speak with Rob and I ended up down at State of Mind and I spoke to Barry and we had like a little one-on-one chat and we cleared the air with a lot of things. And um, he was like, come back down to the gym and we'll start training again. And uh, Barry's, he's always been quite busy, whether it, and my, and because he's so busy with my training, with my work schedule, sorry, I work shift work, so I can't always commit to his times. And um, he pulled me aside one day and he said, uh, I can't be your number one coach because of the, of the time issue that we have. And he said, there's a guy in there. He's never, he's never done any kind of professional boxing but I really rate him as a coach and I want you to speak to him. And his name was Adam, who is my coach now. And I, and I was speaking to Adam. And the first time I, like, we had the conversation, me, Adam and Barry, I was, I was sitting there and I was kind of a bit, um, I was a bit judgmental. Like, I was thinking like, you know, this guy's never done any yeah. professional training before. Like, do I really want him in charge like, of, of, me, of me and my career? And um, so, but I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And after the first couple of sessions, I, I was hooked on Adam. Like Adam has got so much knowledge, and and he has built up my my strength and conditioning to um like a level that I didn't even think was possible. Like I had never done strength and conditioning before until I met Adam. And on the on the first day we did it, I could only deadlift seventy kilo, which is a couple kilos over my body weight, and then. 13 weeks down the line i was i was hitting 135 um, kilos on the deadlift and i obviously i fight at 50 52 kilos so for me to lift 135 kilo deadlift is i think really really impressive like so that kind of like shows shows you like the knowledge that this guy has as a strength basis and then the things he was teaching me with boxing i was just i was just hooked on this guy i was like this this guy knows his stuff so from from like now now onwards, I'm I'm really excited for like the future of my career, and and I, and I think a lot of people are going to be shocked when when I come back and make my return. They're going to see a completely completely different fire. That's going to be the, the the biggest aspect of this conversation that we're having is we know you've had a career today. We know what your your story's been and where you where you've been, but now it's about where you're going to go to and and what's going to come next for you. Obviously, lockdown has has, has had a massive impact on on boxing, the grassroots side of the sport in general. No fans being able to go to any shows, not a lot of shows being able to happen because of the infection rates being so high. So it has had a massive impact on on a lot of people in many many different ways, but. You kind of, I don't know. It's it seems it seems a bit of a strange one for, for for you because like you've you've had this decision where you've gone. You know what? I've had enough of this. I'm not going to bother anymore. And then during that time when this is all happening, 
coronavirus comes to the country, everything goes into lockdown, unprecedented things are happening in the world, uh, and you're still sat there and you're still like, well, I'm just, you know, just doing what you're doing. And then, like you yeah. say, when, when Steve Goodwin's doing these, when he's doing these Instagram lives last year, and he was doing them with loads of different people, it was kind of keeping people going. And from Steve's perspective, yeah. keeping keeping his promotion relevant. And, and I totally understood why he was doing that. But then it, it's good that you kind of found that buzz again and you found the buzz again you cleared the air with the gym with members of, of people in the gym which is which is fantastic to hear and it's great that that story's kind of come full circle really into a positive from a negative and, and now you're with somebody completely new who's going to be able to give you 110 percent of their time and it's like you've got this new this newfound confidence, this newfound ambition of, of where you want your career to go. And obviously we know you got to a certain level. We know you was good enough to fight at Southern area level. Where do you think your career is going to go from here now? Like from what I, what I think, what I want to happen, like me personally, if I, if I just want a Southern area title when nothing else happens, I me, I'd be completely happy with that. So like, but my, my goal from what I what I want realistic well not realistically but what I want like my dream would be to win a southern area which I think I'm more than capable of doing yeah. um, to win an to win an English which I think I can do and I want to fight for a Commonwealth or a British title and I think if I match correctly for a, for, for at Commonwealth level I think I could I could win a Commonwealth title and then I'd love to fight I'd love to home or away fight I'd love to fight at the O2 Arena. And then that would be, that would be my dream. That would be me set. And I, and I think, and I think that's especially considering the weight class that I'm in at super flyweight, I think that's more than, more than achievable. That's just, that, that's what I want to do. It's realistic, but, um, I, isn't it? It's realistic. Yeah. I mean, so uh, we, I could sit here and say to you, Jack, are you going to become a world champion? If you turn around to me and said 100, 110% Sean, you know, is that is that realistic at this moment in time? It's probably not at this moment because of what's going on. So the realistic chances now for you are to get yourself back into Southern Area contention, get yourself a shot at a Southern Area title. With your division not being, it hasn't got a great depth to that division. So we know that it could it could be one and only two fights down the line, and you're in there for a Southern Area title. So realistically, we know that's something that's going to be achievable probably within the next twelve months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, considering like the situation we're in now, it's very possible that because of what happened with the Sam Cantor and Ricky Little fight, there's a big possibility tomorrow I could just wake up to a call and Steve saying that Hennessy wants to put it on the his next show. Like that, that could very well happen. So I might not even have to wait till Small Hall Boxing comes back and like get a fight, like you know, a warm up fight, and then maybe yeah. look for the Southern area. The Southern area fight could happen now basically so yeah i mean it's more that's you know it could, it could happen anytime really would, would you be ready for it yeah so it, it depends really because right now since since i when i wanted to come back to boxing my mindset had changed again and i wanted to basically always stay ready so if you you obviously you followed me on facebook before mm-hmm. so you might have seen that when I would fight, I'd cut down to 52 kilo. Yeah. And then afterwards, I would just bulk back up and I would I would be like 65 kilo in a matter of a week or two. And um, when I when I made the decision to come back, I was like, right, that's not going to happen no more. And for the for the last um, probably like 
three, four months, I've just been sitting around 56 kilo. And for me, that's just unheard of. Like I've never, I've never been so disciplined with the diet, the dietitian side of, of, of boxing. But obviously the only thing that I'm, I'm not really fit at the moment, just due to the gyms not being open and stuff. So I'm keeping disciplined with my diet, but there's, I'm not like fight ready. So if they was willing to give me eight weeks notice, I could eat no problem. I could get in shape for it. But if they just turned around and said the fight's tomorrow, I wouldn't yeah. really, I wouldn't fitness, fitness wise, I wouldn't be ready for it. So yeah, as long as they wanted to give me the eight weeks notice, then yeah, I'm, I'm more than ready. I could get ready in eight weeks easily. Talk about the business side of the sport. It's something you touched on a little bit earlier on when you was mentioning the fact that obviously people don't see what goes on behind the scenes, the promotion side of things, managing your own social medias, making sure that tickets mm. get sold for fights. It, how do you think that's going to impact you now going forward, given the the situation we're in? If, if this continues for another six months, for example, fingers crossed it doesn't, but if this mm. was to continue for another six months now... The, the likelihood is people are not going to be able to come to the shows so it means that there's going to be sort of probably set purses for each fighter being involved in, in this particular fight how how does it affect you promoting yourself getting yourself back out there getting people to follow your journey again what what sort of things now are, are you going to have to do that you didn't do before that's one thing like i've always been really active on social media like really active so i think some some people love me and some people just just hate hate me like for the way i am like um because i'm very out there very different to most but where where i had the time away from boxing i i started socializing a lot more with different like friendship groups and so on so i think like my friendship circle has grown and i've never really been that much of a big ticket seller like i used to put a lot of my own money into ticket sales just to make sure fights happen because that's how bad i wanted it but I'd like to think, obviously you never really know into what happens, but I'd like to think that I would be able to sell a lot more tickets now. And obviously where um, where where lockdowns happen, it's given me more time to be kind of active on social media, post new things, think of what I'm going to do when, when I'm coming back. So my following's grown a little bit, which is good as well, like during lockdown. So hopefully again, that could be more, could be more ticket sales. And I've kind of built up like a whole new image, which I'm really excited to um, kind of like show to the to the boxing world. Like, I don't know if it will be accepted or not because it is quite out there. But I have, but I know when it when it comes out, I'll touch on it a little bit actually. So I grew up basically growing up. I grew up on like the punk rock image. So like yeah. people like Blink One Eight Two, Good Charlotte. Like I've, I've grown up with that like my whole life, and then. Um, I, lo- I love the image like if you look at my body i'm covered in really colorful tattoos like all over my body um like they're very out there like people always say to me when when if you walk into a room jack would be the first person i'd notice because of his his tattoos the clothes he wears the image yeah. he has so i grew up on that stuff like i paint i paint my nails like which is very out there like not a lot of i don't really know any man that does that to be honest so I'm going to come back and I wanted to show that like these things like being out there painting your nails as a man like getting covered in these weird tattoos that people may not understand like um, I wanted to like portray this image to the world and show them that like these things are acceptable for men as well so I wanted to be the which as I said this is quite out there like a lot of people might not take to it but then there might be a whole side of it that does take to it I want to be the first professional boxer in, in history to fight with painted nails and fight with lipstick on and this is like my whole new image that i want to 
kind of like betray to the world and see how it see how it catches on. And as I said, even if it doesn't catch on, I'll still go down as the first fighter in history to do it. So it'd be something like, and it could, and it could literally attract the whole new, whole new fan base. And I know it bring a lot of hate. Of course it will, like because it is out there and it is different, and people ain't, they won't accept it. But there, there's going to be a whole different market out there that 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 will accept it. So yeah, like I'm kind of. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to doing it and seeing seeing how people take it and seeing if it does elevate my career or not. I think there is a lot of things in this day and age that are a lot more socially acceptable than what there was probably even only as, as shy mm. as five years ago. Even even only as close as that, there was probably things that are more socially acceptable now with the introduction of different forms of social media, the the different sort of stars that have come out of it. You know, the the James Charles, people like that, Jeffrey Star, these guys that put makeup mm. on, these guys that have their own palettes. You know, it's become a lot more socially acceptable for this generation of of, of teenagers growing up and people going through this era. People are not going to agree with. There's always going to be people that are not mm. going to agree with, and we and we know that. And, and that's down to them. That's their choice. If they don't want to. They don't want to follow you. Then they don't have to follow you. But there's a lot of people yeah, that exactly. are following you for not just the the fact that what you look like, what how you dress, how you want to go to the ring. They're following you because you're a professional boxer who has shown already in his career that he's got a skill set to be able to get to a certain level. And with this with this completely different, refreshing change in your life and your mindset, it could be. It, this could be the second coming, and this could be the, the mm. time when it really works out for you. So, for from my perspective, listening to your story, listening to everything you've told me in our conversation, it's refreshing to see that you you've got gone away. You, you know, you've nearly completely just ditched this this whole sport, mm. and you've you've walked away yeah. from it. But then the fact that you're back, and then you're giving it a second go, and you're very enthusiastic about giving it a second go screams volumes to, to to the boxing audience to me i think anybody anybody regardless of, of how big of a fan of the sport they are can appreciate somebody who is willing to put themselves out there on a pedestal and give it a go and try to make something of themselves and, and, and i hope that's what people take away from this conversation is that they they understand that yeah you've gone through these different trials and tribulations but actually you know, you're a, you're, you're a down-to-earth, genuine guy who is just looking to push himself to a level he believes he can go to and, and, and do things that are different in the sport that may not be initially accepted but may be, you know, warm towards as, as time goes on. So I, I'm genuinely looking forward to, to seeing what happens in this sort of second side of your career and seeing where it takes you and the, the level of fights you get involved in and, and how quickly you get pushed into these fights and of course, what you're going to come to the ring looking like is going to be the one that'll get people talking. So genuinely, yeah, exactly. look, looking forward to seeing it all, Jack. Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to it as well because I've always been, like, I've always been an out there character. Like Steve always says it. Like he he used to love he used to love working with me because where I was so so disciplined on that side, I would always bring some level of entertainment to it. And and um, even though. It's like even if I could touch on my debut again, even though I lost that fight, I came I came to the ring with red hair, in pink and gold, uh, a pink and gold outfit, saying "Best in the World" on the back of it, and obviously I lost. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but if you if if people go back to that day, I guarantee you the fight they were talking about was the little idiot in red hair and pink shorts that come out with best in the world on the back of it that locks i guarantee you i was the guy that everyone spoke about even if they like even if they come to watch someone else they were i bet they were still talking about me and that, that that's just kind of like the level that i think 
I bring to like small hall boxing and yeah. just boxing in general. Like, I think like the sport needs entertainers like me because yeah. it, it is a business as well. And, and 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 yeah, I'm just looking. I'm just looking forward to coming back and just showing this whole whole new side. So, for people that want to follow this journey, to people that want to follow what you're doing, how things are going on, how can they do that? And how can they they follow this journey on social media? Yeah, so obviously my um, through my social medias, they Jack Punk Hughes is my Facebook. Um, Jack, my Instagram's so long. It's Jack <laughs> dot the dot punk dot kid dot Hughes is my um, Instagram, and I think my Twitter is dashing underscore Jack H. So they're they're all my social media platforms. A couple of quick questions and quick fire questions to, to round up this conversation, this interview. Related to boxing, of course, you know, you, you talked about that, that first fight that got you into the sport. Talk about one particular fight that you would go to if you was watching one on YouTube. What would it be? Oh, probably one fight that always stands out to probably most people would probably be Gay Ward, the first one. That was just an incredible fight. Like to be there it would have been it would have been amazing. Favourite fighter? Who who's your favourite fighter of all time? Uh well, Ricky Hand. <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of mine as well. One of mine. Manchester born, born and bred. I love yeah. I love the guy. I love oh, watching yeah. his career. Yeah. So it's no, it's good. It's good. It's been great chatting to you, Jack. It's, it's been great hearing your story and it's been great to be able to understand like where where your career what what sort of roller coaster ride you've already been on and you're basically about to get back in the seat and put that seat belt back on one more time and have another good go at it but this time it's going to be even more flamboyant than it was before and yeah. I'm really really looking forward to it so thank you so much for sharing all of this on this episode thank you you're so welcome, much for coming thank on you for having me Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.